This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Podcast Live and the New European Podcast. <laughs> says you'll all get a car. <laughs> Thanks, Bonnie. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name's Richard Porritt, and I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello, Snowflakes. Thank you for coming. And we have some very special guests. It's Brendan O'Neill. <laughs> and Rod Little. All oh, right, exactly. <laughs> Love being Rod. Not coming in a minute. No, Love not, being not, Rod. Not, not quite. Um, we have playwright, novelist, commentator... More importantly, the high priestess, I think, of the new European and the queen of question time, Bonnie Greer. Hello, thank you. <laughs> and we also have author, celebrated journalist and, I think, the TNE's voice of reason, Mr. James Ball. <laughs> uh, so how this is going to work is, if you are a, a listener of the new European podcast, there's going to be less bullshit probably in the live version because we've got people who actually know what they're talking about rather than just me and Steve um, we'll, we'll try not to sing but I can't promise anything um, so we will have a chat for 20-25 minutes and then we really do need questions from you guys um, or else we'll be in the pub much earlier than we imagined um, so I think um, Bonnie can I start with you um, what do you think of Boris Johnson's offer to the EU? Is it a genuine effort or is this a trap to blame the EU for, for a no-deal Brexit? I think uh, one of the things that, I know we all know this, consciously or unconsciously, but Boris Johnson performs politics. He's always done that. He's not a politician. He's kind of a, a Dickensian character for people who've never read Dickens. And he's kind of a sort of an Edwardian trope 
And he plays on a lot of, of, of Little England tropes. He's very clever in doing that. Uh, he also plays on not being a politician, although, of course, he is a high-level Machiavelli and, and has always been that. So a person like Boris Johnson steps into a space when it becomes irrational. And Brexit is now at the irrational point. So you get a person like Boris who is performing politics, he's performing political theater, and he's pushing a lot of irrational buttons. I mean, on, on one point, right now, we're at a point where there are two contradictory, uh, literally two contradictory options on the table, and that's how we know we are in the irrational. And that's when it's very dangerous. Uh, Boris Johnson is like Donald Trump, one of these people who will give us a, Selma, a Thelma and Louise Brexit because he gets off on that. So, you know, one of the, the kind of obligations of us uh, in Remain is to understand that the Leave position has left Europe because it's not rational and stepped into a lot of spaces that people feel very deep, deeply inside, they can't name, they can't own, uh, and, and leave becomes that. And we have to really understand that that's where we are now. Uh, James, maybe, maybe you could um, pick up on that a little bit. There's, there's some talk this morning about a clarification of the deal. Is that, is that nonsense? Or, I mean, can you see the deal being clarified? Dominic Cummings obviously is saying something quite different. It's... Um you can sort of see how the plan was meant to work in some ways. In, Which in the way sense <laughs> of... His plan. If we were heading towards no deal and they absolutely believed Dominic Cummings was the lunatic who would drive us off the cliff and that was the unambiguous other option, you might start to see things shift quite fast as soon as Boris puts something on the table. Now... What is put on the table doesn't work and is absolutely flawed and would be a logistical nightmare, but it would mainly affect Northern Ireland, and Great Britain has a long and proud history of fucking over Ireland. Um, <laughs> and it wouldn't be unprecedented for that to happen again. Um, it's the sort of core of the problem of this proposal to uh, Europe in a lot of ways was that it came down to replacing a very well worked out, negotiated over months backstop, which weirdly is actually quite a hard Brexit. This is the odd thing. They've all decided they hate it. Um, if you'd offer the, them it on the 24th of June, they'd have jumped at it. Um, but that well worked out thing has been replaced with essentially going, trust me. <laughs> and trust me might work for some people, but Boris Johnson has been fired not once, but twice for dishonesty. He was fired from his first job in journalism for fabricating a quote on the front page of the Times, which is generally a no-no. Um, and he was fired from the shadow cabinet for lying about an affair. Um, you know, at least, at least he never repeated anything like that again. Um, and so, trust me, I'm a liar has proved an uncompelling <laughs> uh, proposition to the EU. And any revisions based on it are unlikely to start unless they'd been desperate, unless they'd actually thought they'll do no deal, it will be much worse for them than for us, but you know what, can we maybe move a bit versus having a disaster, because we'll end up having to unpick no deal for years too, and we'd rather get on with other things. Maybe he could have got something in between what he proposed and Theresa May's deal, 
given the EU now thinks the alternative is extension, from their point of view, they're not wrong. It has totally ruined their negotiating position. And so they can't soften Brexit because the ERG won't pass it. They can't harden it because the EU feels no need to make concessions. And so we're still chasing our own tail. Steve, you've got some views on Dominic Cummings, haven't you? Yeah, they're, they're not very complimentary <laughs> views. I've got to say. And, um, I see you've left your gilet at home today. Well, it's, yeah, it is at home. Um, what a strange man Dominic Cummings is. Uh, and he, you know, well, I wrote a couple of weeks ago in the paper, he is the, he's the wily coyote of British politics. He's the wily coyote of Brexit. Everything, there's no simple scheme. There is, a, there is a, a series of outlandish plots that he's bought from Acme, which tend to blow up in his face or he runs off the cliff. Uh, or whatever, and um, and you know, hopefully this one will, um, hopefully this one will, will explode in in a in a similar style. You know, I mean, first of all, he put out the free bird seed, didn't he? For Jeremy Corbyn was going to stop and peck at his free bird seed <laughs> of calling an election. <laughs> then it was, you know, we're going to prorogue Parliament. That's all. We're going to have left before you can do anything about it. That turned out to be a a, a huge error as well. That didn't happen, and then. I mean, this is the this is the master plan, isn't it? The, the master plan is to um, to go reverse Don Corleone to make the EU an offer they can't accept, possibly. <laughs> so that's number one. Then to be uh, dragged into asking for an ex having to ask for an extension by the terrible people in Parliament then to end up in the courts again and lose in the courts again, and then to call an election and say, the EU are against us, the Parliament, the MPs are against us, the courts are against us, now it's time for you all to take back control again and vote for the Conservatives and vote for me and give me an enormous, um, an enormous majority at the general election. And that is the Dominic Cummings plan, I think. The problem with it is that every one of these plans so far these cleverly worked out plans has been a complete disaster. You see, I'm, 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 can I say something? Because I, I also wrote about Dominic Cummings and I've studied his blog for about two years. And I'm a big fan of his blog, uh, by the way. He's brilliant. And one of the things, his posit is, is that human beings are flawed and they need to be led. That's how he functions, and he gives you example after example after example of how he sees humanity. So what we've got in place with this performance artist PM is a man who literally believes that human nature is intrinsically flawed away from his direction. So he's a kind of monster. He's not funny, he's not funny. And the thing about it is because he's very bright and he can use language, because 85% of people are very enthralled by big words, he uses this language to constantly ensnare people. He's a big guy as well. But he's a monster. And, we, and he's not funny. He's not funny. And we have to realize that we are in this irrational space where this kind of man can actually be in the back. Because Hitler never had a dominant Cummings. If he did, he might not have lost. And I'm not being funny. He didn't have dominant Cummings, neither does Trump. So we're, we are in a very dangerous situation right now, very dangerous. 
that leads me on actually to, to my next question, James. I think you, you were going to jump in there, so you can lead off on this one. How much peril are we in? Because Cummings is saying we will not repeat the mistakes that Theresa May did and, and renegotiate. Um, the lawyers are saying that there will have to be this letter of extension. There may be two letters, one that says, yeah, let's have an extension, but I don't want one. What, what kind of crazy mess is this, and how dangerous is it? I mean, it's definitely dangerous. Where sort of the tricky thing with our constitution is that it's all based on precedence, it's based on norms. We still absolutely insanely have most of our checks and balances rely on decency, uh, which feels <laughs> like uh, something of an outmoded concept. Um, I think the tricky thing when you unpick where we are now is it feels like Remain is winning. And lots of people on the Remain side seem very cheerful this month. You know, 7-0 defeats to Boris. You know, we won the court case. We won the... So fucking what? Like, everything is still heading towards the wrong direction. There is no big swing in polls towards Remain. There is no big swing in support or path to a second referendum that wasn't there before. The hung parliament that sort of created the circumstances where <coughs> it's been possible to stall Brexit and to reconsider it came because the Conservatives ran with a manifesto that said, we're going to take your grandma's house. <laughs> Labour ran with a manifesto that said, free university, way more spending, we'll fully fund the NHS, we'll fund schools more, you'll get primary uh, nursery for two-year-olds, we'll... Uh, you know, here's, here's a kitten. Um, and you won't have to pay any more tax for it unless you're rich. And lost to the party that said, we're going to take your nan's house. Um, if we have another election, Labour's, policy, Labour's sort of flagship policy is, vote for us and then we'll decide whether we want to do Brexit or not. Um, not a massive vote winner. They're going to trot out the same giveaways they did last time. The Tories are going to run a good campaign this time. And look at the polling. Everything that Dominic Cummings has done has worked. They knew they were inheriting a parliament that has proven itself time and again capable of voting to do nothing. Like, they're really good at passing votes that keep things exactly as they are, are very bad at passing votes that change anything at all. So he knew he was going to come in and hit total deadlock. All that they're trying to do is run towards a majority, and then they can do what they want. That's working. And maybe the polls are wrong again. Maybe there's some secret Labour plan to move through. Maybe the Lib Dems will somehow actually have the surge that we thought they had under Nick Clegg. But none of those look that likely at the moment. At the moment, you're looking like that you're going to have a Tory majority. Dominic Cummings will be off the scene at that stage. He really is leaving on the 31st of October, even if Britain doesn't. Um, he is out at the end of this month. But it won't really matter. We are losing, and losing quite badly. And the worst thing is, a lot of us are cheering as we do it. This is a really cheery podcast recording, isn't it? <laughs> are you glad you came? But Bonnie, do you agree with that? Are, 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 is Remain losing, and are we cheering as we do it? I, I think that the Remain side, and I think the country in general, and, and, and um, I kind of said this on Question Time, the last thing that Brexit is about is Europe. It's not about Europe. That's, that's, that's a facade. And you can go on any street corner and ask a person, yeah, what is it about Europe you don't like? They can't tell you because they don't know. And what we don't get on the Remain side is not about Europe. It is about everything that people are upset about. 
What David Cameron did in his stupidity was to ask for, an, and no one does a referendum like this, nobody on earth. You don't ask people yes or no for a constitutional question and then ask them and that it's going to be a simple majority. Nobody, nobody does that. And what David Cameron did, because he thought he was gonna win, he thought he was going to win, remain, he just did it. His attorney general did not tell him that, or, or whatever, he lied, didn't tell him that he, the government, HM government, had no power to implement the result because it contained acts of parliament, which only parliament could deal with. So it already was a mess. And what we don't get on the Remain side is that the people who are leave are people who are saying no to Westminster. They're saying no to their lives. They're saying no to the stuff that's happening in their community. They're saying no to the stuff that's happening in their home. They're saying no to the stuff that's happening inside themselves. No is the first word we learn after Papa and Mama. We learn no. Every kid can say no. And what we don't get on our side is that that is what's happening. And what Boris Johnson gets, because he's a snake, is that he can actually feel that that is what's going on out there. Boris, <coughs> Boris walks whatever happens, because that's how he rolls. He will walk whether remain wins or leave wins. And what's, what's flummoxing Europe right now is that the British reputation for stability for coherence, for rationality, for being the same person in the room. And I can tell you, as somebody uh, you know, born in America, when the British walked in the room, everybody had a sigh of relief. Here come the grown-ups. In Europe, and I have a friend who works in the, for the commission, in Europe, every time the Brits came in, to any kind of meeting, there was gonna be discussions of diversity, there was gonna be discussions about internationalism. It was cool, it was rational. Now our country looks insane, and we need to face that. And on Remain, on Remain's side, if we think we're winning this, and I agree with you, we're wrong, because it's beyond the rational now. That's all I've been saying for the last 10 minutes. It's gone, it's gone. Um, here's some fairly depressing polling. Uh, internal Tory polling. <laughs> Suggests, yeah. Well, maybe I will see. <laughs> <laughs> Internal Tory polling suggests half of Labour's votes are up for grabs at the next general election. I think mm -hmm. it's just shy of half. This is really depressing. 53% of, um, of uh, people polled by the Times think that even if Boris Johnson uh, touched Charlotte Edwards in an appropriate manner, he would still be suitable to be the Prime Minister. James, <laughs> is there anything this man can do to lose the next election, frankly? It's, it's a very similar issue with Boris Johnson as it was with Trump, even though, despite the superficial similarities, you know, not safe in taxis, blonde pricks. Um, <laughs> so, beyond the suit, they are very different characters of different backgrounds. But the difficult thing with Trump was it was all priced in. And it's very, very hard to sort of make a scandal out of stuff when it's so obvious and when it's so public. So it was very difficult to sort of point to Trump's corruption because he would just tweet it. Um, you know, it's sort of the, the joy for the media and actually for American safeguards is there was finally a secret scandal that Trump did that had to emerge from a whistleblower. And we all know how to report things that are secret. You know, you find a document, you find a source, you reveal things, and then you chase it, and then 
you know, people in Parliament or Congress ask questions. That's how scandals are meant to work. Um, with Trump, a lot of the scandal was just right there on the surface. He was saying it. You know, if, if you wanted to know whether he wanted Clinton's emails to be hacked, you could watch him, Trump say it on TV, going, Russia, hey, if you're out there. <laughs> um, and so it was really hard to kind of get people to go, look at this person's character, look at this person's background. The same is very true of Boris Johnson. It's all right there on the surface. He actually invented the Euro myth. Um, way back in the 90s, the European Commission had to set up a fact-checking team, which all of these are still online, by the way, and almost no one's ever read them, to debunk all the sort of bendy bananas or EU's got to ban your hoover or you know, death penalty if you use an unlicensed hairdryer stuff. Boris Johnson invented that genre as Brussels correspondent of The Telegraph. We knew he was dishonest. We knew that he's uh, sort of, you know, he's had, got a very chaotic personal life. That's priced in. We know he's made racist comments, homophobic comments. We know about his ambition. And when that's known and it's there, it's very hard to use it to attack him. It's priced in. It's part of the package. And therefore, scandal doesn't really touch him. It's just Boris being Boris. It's English lads, scandal. Lads, lads, lads. It's English scandal. It's English scandal. And, and that's what I learned doing this question time. And I've been trying to understand for the past 72 hours why this whole thing went viral. And one of the reasons why, because the Irish were saying, get us out of this shit. We aren't part of this. Get us out of it and actually carve us out of this. This is about England. And this is about Englishness. And it's about an idea of England. And all of us, not all of you, have been brought up on a myth called, I call it, his finest hour. It's a myth, a myth about England. It's a myth about World War II. It's a myth about post-war uh, England. We, you've been raised on it. And Boris Johnson plays it like a fiddle. And that's why people can't nail him, because the nation has wallowed in it for the last 70 years. And until it's faced up to the fact that this England that they've created never existed, we're gonna march off into the sunset like, uh, what is it, Canute? Who okay. just, you know, it's just, it's gonna be horrible. It's already horrible. I think to how you beat him, you're not gonna drag him down with scandal. What's gonna beat him is when something that feels new, that feels like it's about change, that feels like it's for real normal people, and it understands that actually most people have had a terrible decade. It wasn't hard to see why Remain lost in 2016. They ran to a country six years into austerity and eight years into a wage freeze. You've never had it so good. Don't risk the brilliant life you have now. And a lot of people looked around and kind of went, yeah, all right, George Osborne, all right, David Cameron, your life's pretty fucking great. Mine sucks. Stop telling me it's brilliant. Okay, you know what? If this has got to change something, screw it. Let's do it. And you've kind of got Labour with something of a new message versus recently, but it's often, hey, weren't the 70s great? Let's do more nationalizing and <laughs> industrial strategies. That sounds great. Um, it's not really a vision. It's not a new thing, and it's not something that seems to collect, galvanize as a movement anymore. You won't beat Boris at his own game. You won't drag him down with scandal. You need something that feels new and feels inspiring. And 
the words new and inspiring do not feel like modern British politics. So it might take a while. Who are those, who are those people, do you think, um, that are new and inspiring? Is there anybody inside of, you know, if, 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 if as the, I mean, we've had an election, haven't we, in 2010 when people, for, for two weeks, people went nuts over Nick Clegg. We've had an election where people went nuts over Jeremy Corbyn and... Ed Miliband, even. Well, Ed Fandom. Well, Billy Fandom, but, yeah. But the question is, what did they have in common? And with Roy Stewart think that he can run as an independent for mayor of London? Why does he think he can? And the reason is, is because we don't believe in politics anymore. None of us. We don't buy it. We don't believe it. So anybody who is outside of that shape, we're listening to them. Rory Stewart is playing that I'm not a political person trope. Jeremy plays it, and he's the most political person of them yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. Boris plays it, because we don't want to admit to ourselves that we don't trust our politics anymore. We don't trust our politicians, and we don't know what the hell Westminster is for. We don't know, and we don't have any leadership in this country to stand up and say that to people so that they can do what the Irish did a couple of days ago when I said what I said on Question Time. <sighs> Thank God somebody fucking said it. We, the English now, you guys need somebody to stand up and say, we don't believe anymore. And then it starts to heal from there. But nobody is doing it. And that's the problem. Labor, Jeremy Corbyn is a principled, consistent, left-wing Eurosceptic from way back. He has never deviated. He's honest about it, but he's now the leader of the Labour Party, and that's the problem for the Labour Party. And it's a problem for Jeremy, too, because he wants to lead the Labour Party, deserves to lead the Labour Party, but that is who he is. And nobody is standing up and saying, Jeremy, sit down for a second, let's get honest, let's get real, and then we can move from there. Maybe we can do something from there. But everybody's playing a game, and they ain't doing it. Is there a dream scenario that oh, a dream scenario? God, there's no dream <laughs> scenarios anymore. Is it? It's a fever but, dream, possibly. But it is a fee, yes, a fever dream <laughs> scenario. But uh, there is, but there is a scenario, isn't there, where very soon Brexit is still unsettled. We've had to ask for an extension. You have an election. There is no clear winner of the election. Whether well, the Conservatives are the largest party, sufficient that Jeremy Corbyn has to. Resign has to. Well, well, that's it. To. Doesn't, doesn't I mean, have to. He, you know, kicking and screaming. You're no, saying, no, right? no. Well, he he got no confidence by eighty percent of his MPs <laughs> and stayed as leader. This is not a man who's going to follow convention unless he wants to. You know, Jeremy Corbyn steps down as Labour leader when he wants. Maybe when Seamus Milne wants. But like, he's not going to be shifted by convention. He's he's going to go on his own terms. You know, I, I want to say something about what's happening in America now because it's, it's a correlation. Uh, we're talking in America now about Fifth Avenue. And remember when Trump said when he was running, I can walk down Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and my people won't do anything. And now the question is, what side of Fifth Avenue are you on? Are you on? Because that's where America is now. Are you on Trump's side of Fifth Avenue or are you across the street on the other side? And we have to see things as clear as that. It's not about Jeremy. Jeremy is consistent. He's doing exactly what he is. That's why people like him. He's consistent. He's principled in what he's about. 
what he's about is maybe not adequate for right now. But we need, as remain, as remain, we need to understand why we are remain. And we need to say it. We need to say it from the same depth of feeling that people who are screaming into the ether about leave means leave. We need to say why remain means remain. And we are not at nothing individually. But collectively, we aren't doing that because it's not whatever. But we're not doing it, and we need to do it. But, Bonnie, is it not too late? No. No, it isn't. Because as some, I mean, I've lived here half my life. I lived in London longer than I lived in the city I was born in. Um, this country has a very deep well of common sense. I, and I'm, I'm sincere about that. The British, and I, just at the end of the day, the British sit down and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. And, and people are actually at that point, but they need people, they need somebody to say, and, and, and I can't do it. It's like, yo, oh, whoa, is this, this, this really? And that's what people really want to have. It's not happening because the people on the other side are performing the tropes in the consciousness of the culture. They're performing them blatantly, openly, unashamedly, and we aren't performing the other tropes because we're too whatever, intellectual, cool, whatever. We're not doing the other tropes, and they're there. And I'm telling you, as a person born in America, one of the reasons I came to this country and one of the tropes of this country is that this country is actually open it's welcoming, it's letting people be what they want to be. You can say what you want to say as long as you don't hurt anybody. That's British, and we're, we are not showing that we're better than leave. We're better than leave, and we need to do that, and we need to do it fast. Do it really fast. We do seem we? to be working on that definition, yeah. though. I think <laughs> the welcoming bit, maybe. Well, yeah. no, but, but you are. I'm telling you this as a foreigner. I never, ever, ever, and I've been in some rough places. My experience of the British is fair play to you. You know, as long as you don't, whatever, fair play. That's what I've experienced. And I think most people, until Brexit, would say that's the Brits, fair play. And we're losing that trope, and we're scared of that trope because we think it's weak, mm. and we think it's weird. But that is what British Britain is: it's fair play. James, um, we're talking about this, this great new hope, but there's no, the, the, we don't have a name for this great new hope. There's no person, is there? Who is it? No, it kind of. It, honestly, I've sort of while we've been thinking about this, I just have that Queen song going round in my head. It's the "Find Me Somebody to Love." <laughs> oh, go on, <laughs> sing. Know. <laughs> so, and, and when you get to anybody, I mean, Keir Starmer is just, he, he looks like sort of a, pound, a sort of vintage shop Nick Clegg. Uh, he's just sort of another cookie cutter, sort of, North, you know, North London middle class politician who's got to be a great lawyer for Facebook in 10 years. Um, you know, he's doing a decent <laughs> job in difficult circumstances, but, but he's never going to get bored. You're inspiring it? new vision for. You know, he looks basically competent. He's, you know, he's sort of Miliband 2.0, but with oh, he's better be hair. James, he's better than Miliband. But the, really? But the, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, Miliband yeah. actually but the, but had the a bit of though, a He's never going to get past the membership, is he, to get the leadership? No, and so this is the thing, though. Even if you move out of the possibilities, you've got a few 
good campaigning politicians in Westminster who you can look at and you can respect and you can admire. You've got a few who can actually talk like a human being, which is a really rare trait in politics. You know, the Jess Phillips of the world, the David Lammies of the world. You know, you've got some people in Westminster to admire still, but they're not, pe they're not people who you could see leading a movement, leading something new. And I, f I just feel intrinsically like we're not on the cusp of that. It certainly wasn't Change UK. Um, and it never felt like it was going to be. It doesn't really feel like it's the Lib Dems because their policies are basically revoke Article 50. Cool. And you know what? Hey, you know, maybe we weren't that bad in the coalition after all, guys. Yeah? Forgiven us yet? I mean, beyond that, what do they have? And so they're not, they're not a vision. They're a protest vote. Labour are sort of where they are. Tories are flailing. So there's nothing to look at and go... He is the seed of something new. And the good bit, the reason for optimism might be, I think we all recognize that we want that and we need that. And the first step, you know, the first step towards getting better is admitting you have a problem. So, you know, Britain's on step one of the 12 steps. So, you know, <laughs> that's better than step zero. Rod Little did tell us downstairs earlier on that he nearly voted remain. So maybe... <laughs> Rod, you know. Rod, Rod, I mean, I knew Rod back in the day. Of course he would have voted Remain, but, you know... They weren't going to win, yeah, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what it is. I mean, Keir uh, Starmer is a lawyer, um, and uh, he thinks like a lawyer, he acts like a lawyer. He's very, very great, incredibly, the QC. He's great. He used to be... Uh, used to be... Director of yeah, the Yeah, 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 DPP. So he's, he, you know, he's a lawyer. I mean, if we had a woman of color or a woman or a person of color to stand up and be remained, we walk this thing, and I'm telling you why. It's because it's a different trope. It's a different archway. It's a different way of looking at, at it. But la the Labor Party is so male-dominated at the top, even though there are women there, it's a male institution. And, you know, I think people are just tired of it, just tired, exhausted, tired. We need another story, and uh, I don't know if we have any more time. Maybe here. we should start crowdfunding your uh, your election campaign, Bonnie. <laughs> you know, no, you need you need some. I mean, we need a woman. We need uh, a person of color born here who believes in internationalism, who believes in all of this, who's got a story to tell, a why they believe, and then stand up and just say it. Uh, but but a lot of our our feeling a lot of what we are, and it's not on purpose, is dominated by a certain layer of people, a certain approach, a certain whatever, and that's the face that's played to people, and they're pushing back against it. It's not us, it's not who we are, but that's what comes forward, and um, you know, it's deeply unfortunate. Yeah, okay, a couple more questions for, for the guests, and then we'll let you guys take over. Um, James, election looming, obviously. I know you've written about this before. What are the dangers and what can we do to stop a lot of dark money and, and social media campaigns flowing back in and, and affecting this election? Yeah, it's got to be tricky, this one, isn't it? Um, essentially, I've been saying since about 2010 that UK election law doesn't work, it's incapable of convicting anyone, it's incapable of stopping anything, uh, and... 
you know, I keep getting some nice front pages and then nothing happens. And we've had yet another cycle of that and nothing happens. And this isn't actually just a Facebook or a Russia or a dark money thing. These laws have not worked for ages. Um, the last time anyone was convicted under them, in theory, if you overspend in your election and the rules are really complex, um, you are, and it, it's for Parliament, you are disqualified as a candidate, you are removed from Westminster and a by-election is held. And it's a strict liability offence. So it doesn't matter if you did it on purpose or not, it doesn't matter if you understood the, law, the rules or not, strict liability. That's how it's meant to work. And what happened in practice was a Labour MP in the 1997 intake was found to have broken the election laws and exceeded the spending limits. And she was convicted, she lost her seat, and she actually went to jail. And it was reversed on appeal um, because they basically found the law was so complex she couldn't reasonably have been found to have understood it and it was out of proportion. And she was, in theory, reinstated to Parliament, but at this point had become an alcoholic through the ordeal and actually died not long later. Uh, and so given the Court of Appeal precedent and the quite horrifying way it destroyed that woman's life, it is incredibly difficult to convict anyone under these rules, and no one's changed them. And so we have to kind of accept there's going to be gaps, there's going to be loopholes, there's going to be stuff where we're really just relying on Facebook's political advert monitoring. I mean, the upside is lots of people are watching those. We do need to fix that law, and it should be a bigger issue in British politics. But we do, at the same time, have to try and stay a bit calm about it. Brexit wasn't swung by Facebook adverts or Cambridge Analytica. It was swung by a really, really terrible Remain campaign and a good Leave one. You know, it was not that people saw a Facebook advert that changed it. That's trying to look at a seismic groundswell of issues in the nation and say that it's actually the fault of a better advert. Um, you know, it's comforting because it's an easier problem and it gives you a nice villain of Facebook or Russia or Cambridge Analytica. It's not the real problem. So will we have issues with targeted adverts? Yeah. But anyone who's canvassed in any parliament, in any parliamentary seat will tell you, you deliver some leaflets to the nice houses and some leaflets to the council flats. They don't say the same thing. That's micro-targeting just as much as a Facebook advert is. Uh, you know, there ain't nothing too new here. So we should worry about it. We should be vigilant about it. We should be glad of journalists, you know, Jim at BuzzFeed, uh, Sam at Who Targets Me, etc., who keep an eye on all the political adverts and try and report what they're doing and why. Um, we should obviously stay vigilant and, and look out for anything that looks off in patterns of donations. But mainly, we should just try and trust the system, trust things that work overall, respect voters and respect their decision making and go out and try and change minds instead of worrying about other people trying to change minds. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, and Bonnie, I don't, I don't think anyone has, has written quite so passionately about um, President Trump in the past few years. So finally, before we throw it over to the floor, is he going to be impeached? Yes. And, and the reason he will be impeached is one of the things about America, and it's here too, it's here too, we just need to resurrect it. Um, Americans have a narrative about themselves. Every American, every American has a narrative about America in their head. That's what being America is. And one of the things that America is, 
is we believe that we are better than this. And it is now at the point where people are starting to say, this is not my country. This man is not my president. And we can see that that's changing because the polls are changing. The Republicans are starting to creep over. It's getting too vile. And that's what I mean by the Fifth Avenue approach. Which side of the avenue are you going to be on now? And so he's going to be impeached because Nancy Pelosi, who is the greatest woman politician in American history, because she gets it done, she uh, didn't step, she didn't move until the centrist Labor Party, I'm sorry, centrist Democratic Party members decided they couldn't take it anymore, and they were all, all of them, are in vulnerable Trump seats. They will lose their seats. They are former uh, army veterans, military people, former intelligence people. Eight of them call themselves the badasses. They're all women. They stood up and they said, I didn't take an oath of office to keep my job. If I lose my seat, so be it. And what labor, the Labor Party has to do, if it believes in us staying, is some of those Northern Labor Party seats have to say, I'm not here, for, this is not a job, and I believe this, and I have to be able to go back to my people, door to door to door, and face them, even if they're pissed off with me, even if they hate me, and say, I believe we need to be in Europe because it's gonna hurt you, it's gonna hurt your pocketbook, it's gonna hurt your kid, it's gonna hurt your fucking job, that's why you need to stay, and if you kick me out, so be it, but you're not, but you're not gonna, you're gonna hear my voice, and that's what's happening in America right now, and that's why the uh, uh, House needs a simple majority of 218 votes to impeach the President of the United States. Nancy Pelosi has 220, which is why she's going ahead. If it doesn't happen, it's because Trump died. <laughs> and he's actually on the road to busting something because he's losing it. Really big. When you say Trump will be impeached, which I, I just want to say Trump will be impeached again. That just sounds <laughs> nice, so lovely, it? doesn't it? Nice, yeah. Nice. When, sing it. Do you mean of the House? That's that's fine. Do you mean double impeached and out of office, or no, no, is the, it going to be a Clinton no, the, the convicted in one and? The the process is not a legal process. It's a political process. So the House determines what's impeachable. It's all on them. The House now is, has a, a, a system of inquiries where different committees are looking, but the inquiry is for public consumption. They've already decided. So they want to present to the American people a case. So they've got ways and means, they've got intelligence, all of that. After impeachment happens, the President of the United States is sent to the Senate for trial, presided over by the Chief Justice of the United States. This is a Mitch McConnell Senate, it's a Republican Senate, uh, but the, the margin is very small. And if Trump gets, after they've impeached him and all of this stuff comes out about him, some people who don't actually have, the, the Senate term is six years. You see your Mitch, Mitch, uh, uh, Mitt Romney coming out now. He doesn't have to worry about losing anything. You see your Marco Rubio's coming out now because he might be thinking of running. They're sniffing the wind. They just need four seats and the dude is gone. It's two thirds for... Yeah, yeah. No, you, you, the majority, I mean, it has to be flipped over. Yeah, yeah, yeah it has yeah. to be flipped over. And then if Trump 
loses, if he's convicted, he's out of office, and then my favorite person in the world is waiting for him, the Attorney General <laughs> of the State of New York. She's waiting for him, and she's got a whole bag of indictments for him. A bag. Okay, we're already running out of time, so um, I'm going to come into the audience. It's wow. a bit like... <laughs> I feel like if I go down the middle, it's like a U2 concert. <laughs> are you going to walk YouTube. on people's hands? I've are you going to crowd surf? I don't know. Yeah. Shall I crowd surf? I've been listening, I've been listening <laughs> to you. We'll get round everyone, but I'm going to go to the back first. So if you could tell me your name and then give me your question. I don't know if you want to direct it to a certain person or to all the panelists. up to you, sir. Hello, I'm James. Uh, I just want to say I really agree with Bonnie that um, Brexit is an English problem. Does that mean the United Kingdom has to break up in order to solve it? Asking me? You, you go, Bonnie. No, I don't. And, but I'm saying that only as a, a naturalized citizen who's taken oath of allegiance to the Queen and therefore to the Union. So I really do feel it's not seemly for me to say. And, and, and that's what I'm going to say about the Union. Um, I hope that we can keep the union, actually. I quite like being in the same country as Scotland. Um, but uh, honestly, can someone remove that audience member there, please? <laughs> um, well, what, what was the problem? Disruptive. I so, think I'm um, coming to the wrong podcast, actually. I wanted Rod <laughs> Little. Where's Rod? <laughs> so, um, I think we are moving... I mean, what was really telling to me and significant was polling among <laughs> Brexit supporters showed they would much, much rather have Brexit than keeping the yep. union together. And the union won't last very long if people don't care about it enough. There are separatist movements in Scotland most visibly. There, you know, there is a Welsh independence movement. They're going to get stronger if the UK leaves, and they're definitely going to get stronger if no one's making the case for why it makes sense for us to be one nation. I find the SNP's position logically a bit mad. I think it's quite weird to go, you know, we should have free trade, open borders, etc., with Europe, but a hard border between Scotland and England, which would be the scenario in certain Brexit situations, absolutely mad. Um, but they do very well politically by not pointing out the contradictions of their own position, and so I don't think they'll start getting introspective yet. I don't think we need to break up the union. I think most Brexit options would accelerate it and make it probably inevitable. I, I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm one of the few people, it seems, that I meet now who's not got an Irish grandparent and therefore everybody has not applied for, same, same. for Irish citizenship. But my mother is Scottish, so come on, <laughs> let's break up the union. Um, I, I think I'm the only English Catholic that has no Irish grandparents, and I'm livid. I'm livid. Yeah, yeah. Very rare. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I, you know, I think it's as, as James says that the the case for uh, when you when you look at uh, what's happened in Ireland, the case for sticking with a Brit uh, England that is out of the EU compared to the favourable position that you would be in inside the EU for Scotland, uh, for then for Wales, and, and maybe and Northern Ireland is a... I mean, the island yes. of Ireland is a whole other thing, isn't it? Um, but I certainly think that for Scotland, that, that strengthens the case. 
immeasurably. And, and also, you, I mean, you also have an extremely strong nationalist party there, don't you, who are in control. Can I, can I also say, just looking at it from the outside, that the union is a question that people aren't touching either. I mean, that's another thing that people are afraid to talk about, and I think it needs to be aired. Okay, sir? Just wanted to make the case for the defense for Keir Starmer. So <laughs> this is a guy, no, this is a guy who comes from a working class background. It's unusual, I'm sorry. He's the son of a tool fitter. His mother was a nurse, severe health problems. He, he, he's one of the best minds of his generation in yeah, terms of, and I think he, you know, he's, he's got a great story to tell. Absolutely. Funny enough, I think the membership, just a reminder, the membership's made up of active members. The Labour Party have been a member for 35 years, and there's non-active members. And I've just come from the New Statesman. Patrick Maguire was making the case for him post-Corbyn. I think he's onto something because I, th I think who, there's a good chance. Who was, sorry? the New oh, Statesman right. was making the case that Keir Starmer could, could be leader post-Corbyn in terms of... Oh, I think that's possible, sure. Yeah, yeah. sure. It's, I, I like Keir as an MP and as a, as a guy. Actually, I'm a fan of him as a DPP because he decided not, to, pros DPP, he decided yeah. not to prosecute us at The Guardian for doing the <laughs> Snowden story. So, that was his one mistake, uh, I, you know, I'm personally quite grateful to him. And I know quite a few people in his CLP, and there's a lot of loyalty and respect for him there. I just don't, I think he's quite a managerial figure. I don't think he's got the cut through in the vision and I couldn't see him getting a movement like Corbyn had, certainly. And so he feels like a politician of 15 years ago. He feels like he would have been a successor to Blair or Brown in the way that people thought David Miliband would be, but perhaps with more substance to him. Um, I don't think he's the man who can be the new hope. Um, that doesn't mean I don't like him. Setting all that aside as well, I, I mean, you, 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 might be, you, you are closer to this than, than, than me, but is Keir Starmer really going to get elected as the leader of the Labour Party? Or is it, 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 it going to be somebody who is eminently less qualified, but is more on... Is it going to be Rebecca Long-Bailey, who would, would be a, an absolute disaster? I well, well it's interesting. I mean, to be fair, I, I voted for Corbyn twice in terms of makes me unpopular in his audience. But, but in terms of... But I did, but I do see post, as I say, that's why I was separating out the active membership from the non-active yeah, membership. Yeah. I mean, it turns out I'm an active member as well, but I get a good feeling. I'll be honest with you, people wouldn't pick out Rebecca Long-Bailey in an ID parade in terms of most, <laughs> most members, even Labour members. I'll be honest with you, they, they think they've got this... It's not going to happen, it's not. Yeah, I think party management doesn't work like people think it does. Right. Um, I don't think there's an, an anointed successor would have any easy ride. I think Labour, af this Labour this after Corbyn is a more open question than people imagine, I think. Is this a rare note of hope from James Ball? Usual service will be resumed shortly. <laughs> I, I'm with you on Keir, so I like him very much. Uh, yes, who are you? Hello, Mark. I'm Sam Scott. Um, yeah, so... Why is it, do you think, that Leave own the democracy argument um, when we know that a vote doesn't equal democracy, as in Saddam Hussein, Robert Mugabe, Putin all held legal elections in their countries? Um, you know, it seems that Leave voters think that the referendum is undemocratic because the government didn't deliver what it promised. The Remainers believe that it's undemocratic because the government didn't didn't define what it uh, was promising. Um, essentially, we seem as if we've had a vote, a referendum on let's make Britain great again, uh, which seems very undemocratic question. I think it's because the simple, the simple sentences work for leave. There was a referendum on should we leave or remain. Leave was the thing on the ballot. It won by 1.2 million votes. It went there. We had a general election. 
and almost every seat in Parliament went to a party that said it would leave the EU. Uh, you know, Labour's 2017 manifesto said leave the EU. Tories said leave the EU. So they feel like we had an election, uh, we had a referendum, then we had an election to confirm it, and it both went their way. We can say it's more complicated because they weren't voting on what type of exit to have, which tells you again what a stupid referendum it was. As Body said earlier, that was David Cameron's fault, not the voters. But nobody said it at the time. See, that's what's fascinating to me. <clears throat> As someone who hasn't grown up in this culture, that's fascinating to me. It was stupid. It was obviously blatantly clear that HM government could not deliver the result, no matter what it was. It was black and white. Everybody knew it, and our political leaders did not tell the people. And see, that's what's fascinating to me. I don't have the answer for that, but I can tell you that the lead people I know, the lie began right there, the lie. And it's been a lie. And why our politicians labor, Lib Dem, Tories, all of them are in Parliament, didn't stand up and say, um, well, actually, we can't deliver this result, you guys, because we don't have the power to, you know, HM government doesn't have the power to do it. None of them did it. None of them did it. None of them did it. And that's why people don't trust them, because nobody told the truth. The democracy argument does get easier if we have another election soon, because you've got quite <coughs> distinct positions. Yeah. You've got Lib Dems with first choice being revoke, second choice, second referendum, backing remain. Labour backing a second referendum, not saying where they'll go on it. Tories backing a hard Brexit. The, you know, that lets you claim a democratic mandate for a second referendum if Labour and Lib Dems get more votes. That starts to be an easier argument. You know, we went to the public, we said, here are the, th here are the options, the parties represented them, how, what happened? That's going to be an easy democracy argument. Until then, the democracy argument's not a good one for Remainers because it's one way you end up saying four sentences. If the other side can say four words and you've got to say four sentences, pick different terms. You turf. shouldn't do that because really it, it gives the impression that lead people are stupid. And I mean, even if we give that out unconsciously, that's why we lose. They're not stupid. They're clear. They got long, long manifestos about things. We shouldn't, even if we don't mean to do that, and you're not wrong, you're absolutely correct what you said, but even <clears throat> if we don't mean to do that, we need to stop letting them feel that we think they're stupid. They're not stupid. They voted what they felt, and we voted what we thought, and feelings always win. Okay, we're, we're getting short of time now. I'm going to try and get around as many questions as possible, so keep it nice and uh, tight, please. Guys, who's next? Hi, I'm Mark. Uh, this might be a slightly controversial question, but I think we are getting to the point now where there is a, and um, as Bonnie argued, this may have always been the case, where there is a separation between the remaining or leaving Europe question and the kind of fight for the soul of a country and the direction we're going in. And James, it's very interesting that you mentioned the more way the Remain side is working at the moment, we may be leading towards playing into Boris Johnson's hand and leading him to kind of get his way and get a big majority. And then suddenly we don't just lose the battle for Europe, we lose the battle for the soul of Britain. Might it come to a point soon where us on the progressive side start to admit that we've lost the battle for Europe and start to think about winning the next battle, the battle for Britain's soul, and 
think about putting Europe beside, behind us and thinking about how we can make a positive non-Boris Johnson future. It's an interesting idea. Um, gosh, that's a hard one to answer quickly. Um, I don't think we can. I think the two are too intrinsically linked. Um, I think almost, you know, abandoning the turf of the biggest issue would just demoralise and divide so many people who've come to politics through people's vote, through the rallies, through the battle. It would not be seen as you offering a vision. It would be seen as, why should we trust you to have an idea for the future, to lead us for the future, when you abandoned us on the political issue of a generation. Yeah. And so I think, even though we, I think we may well lose this fight, I think we still have to have it. I think sometimes having fought and lost uh, is better than having run off. Um, and you know, usually better part of valor, this doesn't feel like one of them. And the economic and social ramifications of abandoning this now are, you know, nothing, nothing that, we, we move on from, we leave the EU, we leave the EU, we leave that fight, we elect a, a Labour government led by whoever, Keir Starmer, Rebecca Long-Bailey, whoever, in five years' time, they, they, don't, they don't have any money, they won't have any money to do anything, you know, I mean, it's uh, not to mention the loss of workers' rights, not to mention the, the, the ramifications of, of what is going to happen when stuff starts, medicines start running out, Goods. It's happening now, right? Okay. The, the, the other day, it happened to you know. It's it's, it's happened to, to people that we know already. So um, you know, th th this is a, a big fight that we, we we must not abandon. I think. And and you and again saying this as a foreigner, you guys got to not be scared to be emotional. Um, you have to say. I mean, for me, Europe is about who you are. It's not a country. It's not an organization. It's not a place. It's about who you are. Just as leave is about who they are. We have to say who we are. And that's what the EU is about. It's not about an organization. It's about our gut. Right, we've got, we've got to get through these questions. This gentleman's had his hand up first, I think, so, sir. Very quickly. The demographics of a voter most likely to vote leave are male, pale, and stale. The demographics of a voter most likely to vote remain are Young, black, and female. What can we learn from that? What I said at the beginning. It's about nostalgia. It's about the, his, his finest hour. It's about what people think they are. It's about loss. It's about fear. And, and people should just say it. Okay, sorry, I was trying to the audience. We're getting very <laughs> friendly down here, yes. Hi, I've almost uh, forgotten my question. I have so many things to say, but on the point about the election solving the problem, I don't think you're correct, James, because yes, you're absolutely right about what each party um, represents, but you've forgotten that there's another metric in there, which is leadership. And right now, Jeremy Corbyn has a negative polling number of over 60%. That's bad. So it doesn't matter what they're now saying, that's where we're going to be left. And Bonnie, I think you're right about the feeling versus thinking, but the problem is what you hear back from Remainers, I mean from Leavers, are things like um, immigration, sovereignty, big concepts that are difficult to... They're here. Yeah, they're, fe I mean they're fearful, yeah, but it feeling. is a complex, too complex to address. And 
And it's too complex to just have an emotional, but I want people answer. So no, no, any comments? That, those things that you just said, they are feelings that trigger them. And you put it into a big, big word, but it's feelings. So I'll just push back. I don't think the election <coughs> fixes things. I don't think it's simple. I just think we have a better democratic argument after it than before it. Uh, of course, there's a lot else going on. It's not another Brexit referendum. There's I think we may well end up with both, but I don't think a second referendum will happen without an election first. We've just about got around all the questions. This gentleman was uh, hand up right at the start, so quickly, sir. Uh, kind of following on from exactly what you were just saying, uh, given that the uh, large part of the reasons for the Leave vote were, as you said before, economic, um, surely we need to fix a lot of those problems before we get a second referendum, otherwise we'll, get, we'll just lose it again. Guys, yeah, about I think 30 seconds. very, very high chance that if there is a second referendum, we lose, because a lot of it... A lot of the Remain thing has been, highly voters, you voted wrong last time, didn't you? It's okay, we forgive you. Just vote right this time, yeah? That's not going to win. Um, and rather than worrying about other people's messaging, other people's campaigning, <coughs> what Dominic Cummings has done lately, we need to go out and change minds. And if you want to get a second referendum and if you want to win it, you have to think, what's going to make someone who vote le voted leave last time do differently this time. And that also involves listening to them as well as talking. Change minds means change the voters. I mean, you could age them out too. That works. But, you know, that's a bit cold. Right, well, I'm, we're about to be ushered off stage, frankly, maybe <laughs> wrestled off stage. Um, Bonnie Greer, an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you so Thank you much for, for coming. Um, you. If you guys want to start clapping now, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> James... James, uh, absolute pleasure to have you, James. Thank you um, so much. I think uh, we'll see you again soon, I'm sure. And Steve, as always, we're off to get some lasagna and beans we now. Are. There are some free badges over there and some new European stickers. Please avail you. They say things there like, don't blame me, I voted Remain, and uh, fromage, not farage, is a popular one. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for coming. Please enjoy. Thank, Thank you all. Thank you very much. 